Let's Discuss is supported by Mom and Bras. With a wide range of bras and bralettes available for chest feeding and pumping, Mom and Deck combines the functionality you need with style and comfort. My favorite is the Do Anything Bra, the perfect bra that supports chest feeding and pumping in one truly lovely and comfortable bra. Visit us.momanda.cc backslash let's discuss and use code let's discuss for 10% off your entire order of $40 or more. Your mental health is your dopest self, but you don't have to tend to it by yourself. Get a tribe, get inspired, and you'll get ahead. Get someone to talk to, don't keep it bottled in. You're beautifully human, you should remember this. So it's okay for you to feel emotions. At times we all need to clear our heads. And when you do, just holler at Therapy by Meg. Welcome back to another week with Let's Discuss with Meg Duke, where we discuss some things perinatal and all things mental health. Today, I am so excited for our guest. Jennifer holds an MA in counseling, an MACP, and is a certified Canadian counselor, a CCC. She is the CEO, the chief empathy officer, and founder of Ask Therapy for Moms. With over 20 years of experience within the fields of maternal health, childbirth, and psychology studies, she uses her expertise and voice to help advance the dialogue on trauma-informed care, maternal mental health, and healing in general. Welcome, Jennifer. Thank you, Meg. I'm excited to be here. Yes, what a pleasure. Um, So I always like to start off the conversation with people by asking how we know each other, but you and I met through email. <laughs> yeah, correct. And and your podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that was really, yeah, that's right. Um, so what got you into counseling psychology? Yeah, so that, you know, usually opens up the story and that can take up our whole time together. So feel free to interrupt at any <laughs> point if you want to shift gears. Um, sure. Prior to going into counseling psychology, my background was in performance psychology. So before I entered the world of birth, um, I I was an athlete and kind of working my way towards the Olympics, had an injury and um, was studying sports psychology back then. It was called sports psychology. This is in the 90s. Uh, Now we call it performance psychology. And um, at that time, it was very much like the birth of the movement of, you know, brain and mind and, and the fact that our mind can differentiate the difference between this external reality and our internal reality. So a lot of focus on peak performance through preparation and visualization. And I got really inspired by that work. And so just to kind of like fast forward through those years, um, I I got pregnant unexpectedly, 22 at the time. And uh, obviously my world took a, a shift in trajectory And I never actually completed my master's. I had done my two years and I never finished my thesis. And this weighed on me for all these years. And so um, after the birth of my first son, which really initiated me into my passion of the whole world of birth, which is like, once you have a child, it's like you're initiated into what's behind that curtain. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, you know, I honestly didn't know anything about the culture of birth as a 22 year old, but I did have a strong connection to my body. Mm -hmm. And I also had a strong belief that um, my body could perform or peak perform. So I really entered that birth space 
from that lens, which I think is really important to include in any conversation that I'm having, Mm -hmm. because I already was primed to set myself up, you might say, for success. Mm -hmm. And I kind of went into my first birth experience like it was an athletic event. And like, I I mean, sure, for the Olympics. Yes. (laughs) and I had an incredible experience that with that first first birth, um, and and so like many moms, whether the birth was um, euphoric or whether the birth was traumatic, something can be initiated where now you just want to shout from the mountaintops, and you want everybody to know what's behind that curtain. Mm-hmm. And you know, at that time in my life, I really wanted everybody to know how incredible that experience could be. And so that's how I entered the birth culture. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a lot in between that I can share, and maybe we'll dive into that today. Yes, yeah. On the other side of that, after um, when I was about 35, so about 11 years ago, I um, had what I would call my real encounter with my dark night of the soul, in which um, trauma after trauma was surfacing, and I and resulted in PTSD diagnosis. And that was the initiation into my healing journey. Mm. In that healing journey process, um, I was, again, very determined to look at mental health through the lens of neurobiology. And at that time, there wasn't a lot of public information available. Now it's everywhere. Mm -hmm. But even just 11 years ago, we didn't have access to the the whole somatic side of healing and recovery and mental health mm-hmm. and how trauma is a biological and spiritual, one could say soulful, um, injury to our system. Mm-hmm. And so through my healing journey, which I was very passionate about, I studied relentlessly to understand what was happening to my mind, heart, and body, and soul? And how do I heal? And and so um, that journey unfolded. And through that process, I started to really awaken to this world of trauma in childbirth, and how so much of my passion for those years in between, when I was in the world of birth was about doing everything that I could to mitigate harm or trauma in birth by supporting mm-hmm. moms in a certain way. Um, and so this will answer your question. <laughs> and so through that process of my own kind of investigation, like as if I was my own guinea pig, trying to really uncover um everything that happens when we're recovering from trauma and realizing that so many moms um, are suffering in the postpartum as a result of unresolved trauma that's hooked into their body system, their heart system and their mind system. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I merged those two worlds because of my background in the birth industry and quite a um, eclectic background in the birth industry. I had great insight and understanding of that culture. And then I just merged it with the world of trauma recovery. And that's that's when I was motivated to complete my master's. That never happened all those years ago. Um, and go back to school 
once I was well enough to be able to actually hold a sentence together in my mind, um, I went back to school and completed that master's so that I could really bring these worlds together and be a voice, um, if, if possible, um, of, of sanity in, in these very challenging times for so many moms. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. Okay. I have to ask before we move on. What were you training for, for the Olympics? What sport? Uh, so my love was always volleyball, um, but I was always too short. Uh-huh. And so, and so the, the sport that I actually got somewhere with was fastball. And <clears throat> yeah. And so it was just before it was literally the season before um, fastball went to the Olympics as yes. a, yeah, as a, as a trial run. Uh-huh. And the coach who coached that was my coach at the university. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, that's a whole other story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. I yeah. was just saying, you I'm obsessed with the Olympics. So you mentioned the Olympics. Oh. I was like, well, we're gonna have to take 60 seconds and just get that information. <laughs> yeah, I was too back in the day. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I believe that's so that's so wonderful. Yeah, and I love how you describe that. Because, yeah, I think uh, giving birth is akin to an Olympic event, certainly a physical exploration of what your body is capable of doing and perhaps yeah. even things that you didn't think your body was capable of doing. Absolutely. And also mentally, right? It requires mm. an enormous amount of mental preparation as well, which yes. not everybody has access to. But I mean, well, we right. could go. We could go in and explore all of that if you want. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Let's go ahead. Absolutely. Because um, I like you were talking about performance psychology, peak performance through visual visualization. And um, yeah, I mean, nothing fully can prepare you for the moment that you give birth. It's your experience so differently by every person, but yeah, having that opportunity really to explore and practice and um, the mindful side of it, the physical components. um, Yeah. You're, you're absolutely correct that we don't all have the same access to those things mm-hmm. and also how, how useful they can be and helpful in preparation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. And so I was wondering, um, you know, you have talked about polyvagal therapy. Uh, I've talked mm-hmm. about that and everything. What is that? What is it? Some mm-hmm. of our, our team doesn't probably know all, all of them don't know that. What is mm-hmm. that? Kind of, what is your, uh, what kind How of do I see it? Discover it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, so, so again, I'm going to back that up a little bit, but, you know, um, high level answer to your question, what is polyvagal theory? I mean, this was born out of Stephen Porges's work. Um, so for those of you who don't know who he is or who, his work, you can definitely Google um, who Stephen Porges is. Um he comes from a biological background. So a lot of scientific research to understand our nervous system in all of its complexities. And really, uh, from my understanding, he was the first person to kind of coin that term, your polyvagal system, um, as a uh, wandering nerve that's part of our nervous system Mm -hmm. that interacts with everything from our digestion to our lungs to our heart, right? And it's, it's part of our survival system and it's part of what I call our thriving system. So I can talk a bit about that too. Mm-hmm. So kind of off of the the research of Stephen Porges, there's Deb Dana who um, really marked it in the world of therapy. And so she took Porges's concepts and then she mer- she kind of created a therapeutic approach to be able to apply some of his principles. Mm-hmm. And so before um, 
that stuff really emerged into the public eye. I, I, as I said before, I was really studying a lot about neurobiology and trauma and what happens to our nervous system, what happens to our biological system mm -hmm. when it's in trapped in a state of trauma or there's trapped traumatic material there. And, and what do we need to do with that? And that really goes back to a lot of Peter Levine's work, right? Where he really um, spoke a lot. He, he was the one who, who brought forward this idea that as a mammal, we need to complete that stress response. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so from a body point of view, that the idea is how do we take that stressful material and that material is your emotions. It's the actual stress hormones, right? Mm -hmm. um, it's also the associations. It's also the thoughts, right? All of that material is in your embodied system. Mm -hmm. And it can get trapped there where it never gets to complete that stress response. Mm -hmm. And so the idea being that in a, in, a, in a supportive environment, one where you feel anchored, one where you feel co-regulated, mm -hmm. you can help to actually complete that process by moving that material. I say metabolizing it or digesting it or discharging it mm -hmm. by moving that material through and out of that body system will actually help to complete that survival stress response mm -hmm. so that you're no longer revved up. Mm -hmm. in that trapped state. Mm. So that's the bodied focused aspect of it. Sure. So, so that information was already coming through, through Dan Siegel's work, through some of Gabor Mate's work, through Peter Levine, obviously through um, Vanderkoek, right? The body keeps the score. So there was like quite a few people out there who were, who were speaking about this. Mm -hmm. And then Orges's material came came into the mix as well. The polyvagal material came into the mix as well. And I always, I'm, I'm giving you a long winded answer to your question. Uh, I, I go ahead. Go. Okay. Ahead. I am. I actually know a lot of this information, and I am still listening to you. With I'm okay. in my seat. Go ahead. Well, correct me <laughs> if I'm wrong, because you know, taking this material and uh, as as a practitioner, right? Like taking yeah. this material and embodying it and making sense out of it. Like that's a that's a journey in and of itself to itself right so so taking the polyvagal material that was very like very sciencey yes a social engagement system yes the system needs to feel safe and secure like all this stuff that really aligns with the attachment theory um but how do i apply it Mm -hmm. And, you know, so that's when Deb Dana came, came in, into the, the frame of, sorry, focus where, you know, now there was this application of how we can work with somebody's system and help them map their nervous system so that they can start to feel in connection to, or as, as it said, to befriend your embodied experience. And yes. so that kind of really brought it together. And that's why I say we're a nervous system informed approach, you know, as a, as a clinic, but me personally, because we go in through the body first and by going in through the body first, we're kind of getting a break from the story, right? The story is usually yes. what brings us into therapy, but when we approach it through the body, we can kind of like rest the story in the background and just work to start to attune our attention to that felt experience that many of us resist feeling because we've mm -hmm. never been shown what to do with it. We've never been shown how to make sense out of it. Yes. Um, does that answer your question? 
It did, and so beautifully, yes. Because, like I said, a lot of people on the team that are listening, they're not familiar. They don't know. Some, I assume, a lot of people listening have probably heard of, you know, the body keeps the score or whatever. Um, right. But, but it's so beautiful to hear it in that way because you're absolutely right. Like we resist feeling because we don't know how to deal with it, and so we tell ourselves to, you know, suck it up, get over it. My two favorite expressions as a therapist. Kidding. Mm-hmm. Um, but so, yeah, and I think that is very helpful, too, and the way that you described resting the story for a little bit, because I think mm-hmm. it can feel difficult while, uh, you know, narrative therapy is very important and it's very helpful for people to get their story out and to feel heard. Sometimes it can be helpful to to have a different way of focusing on it than just continuing on the same tack. Absolutely. And so what I've noticed is that, um, you know, this idea of the body keeping the score, I would say that our system keeps the score yes. and our system in my world, our system includes the embodied experience. So this physical body, I call it your biology, mm-hmm. but it also includes this cognitive system, your, your, your mental load, right? The story it also includes the emotional system, your heart center, mm-hmm. right? And then and then for those who are comfortable, we can go out into the expanded and we can talk about the soul system or the spiritual system or the expanded state of consciousness system, right? Mm-hmm. And of course, that entire system is in relationship to its environment at all times, mm-hmm. right? We're this dynamic being, Yes, that is, you know, biological and energetic. And we've got this nervous system that really anchors us into this Mm -hmm. biological experience that we're having here on earth. And what I say, 3D reality is here, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and the nervous system is like a conduit. It's, it's like an antenna and it's just picking up all this information and sorting it out at like speed of light. We can't even catch up to it. And then our system responds, safe, unsafe, right? Welcome, warning, right? alarm, calm, right? And then we're like, whoa, what do I do with that? Mm, must be bad. And then right. we separate ourselves from it. So mm-hmm. so let me just bring in context of, um, you know, a lived experience as a mom, for example. Mm-hmm. There, what what really got me passionate about all of this was recognizing how much our nervous system is not supported within the birth culture. Mm-hmm. Yes. So a lot of what we're experiencing in labor and delivery, for example, and even prenatally, right, can set the tone, is that there are a lot of, let's say, procedures, protocols, interventions that um, unfold, that very much are not in support of what the nervous system needs for a Mm -hmm. sense of security and safety. Mm -hmm. And so a mom's nervous system can be in an activated survival stress state and have an experience that they have, whether they deem that as being traumatic or not traumatic, their body has already encoded it as so. Right because they never received the necessary anchoring support or relief that one might've needed to be able to shift states in the middle of it. Mm-hmm. Yes. So I'm not going to go deep into that, but that that's an overview of like what I'm very passionate about. And if I were to ever go on to do a PhD, it would be to actually bring awareness to how are we going to support not just the physical safety of a mom, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But the neurobiological safety for that mom, 
so yes. that in the postpartum, they're not picking up all of those pieces and struggling with unresolved trauma mm-hmm. and left alone to do it. Mm. Well, and of course, here in the States, I mean, we have one follow-up for the mother, the birthing person, six weeks after the baby comes, and then we're sent off on our way. And of course, again, we talked about access earlier. Some of us have more access to other opportunities to to take care of certain things, and some of us don't. And mm-hmm. it's interesting. I hear a lot of people talking about kind of like anger or, or um, just big emotions in general. Mm-hmm. I, being a parent, of course, obviously sleep deprivation and many other things contribute to that. But yeah, we talk about in some of the things that were traumatic in the birthing process or in the pregnancy. And mm-hmm. I think not, I talk about trauma Olympics outside of people who are training for the Olympics, but now I feel like I'm being cliche because we were talking about, but talking about the trauma Olympics, because I was like, mm-hmm. well, mine wasn't as bad as my friends over here. So that's not true. That, you know, I can't say that was traumatic mm-hmm. or Mm-hmm. Or even if it's not in a comparison, it's just generally of like, well, I don't know, that wasn't traumatic. And we recognize mm-hmm. when we kind of come back through and, and look at things that, mm-hmm. hey, I haven't processed that. And it's mm-hmm. coming out because my body, my neurobiological system is still hanging on to it. Mm-hmm. It's coming out in you know maladaptive ways. Correct. That we label. Right. That we put in a box mm. based on an assessment. Mm. Right. And then we give it a name. And then that name is either postpartum depression or postpartum anxiety mm-hmm. or postpartum psychosis. Mm-hmm. And then we're siloed. Right. So in, in that, we're no longer connected to the larger story. Mm-hmm. Now we're in the story of postpartum depression or the story of postpartum anxiety without larger context. Mm-hmm. And, you know, almost every mom I've ever talked to especially prenatally, they come in with, I just want to do everything I need to do to make sure I don't get that thing. Mm-hmm. Right. So there's a lot of fear about, mm-hmm. well, what if I'm, you know, haunted by that monster around the corner, you know, that we call a postpartum mood disorder. So the awareness of postpartum in general I think it is good that we have been bringing a lot of awareness to the forefront to say, hey, this matters. We need to start paying attention to the mom's experience in the postpartum and how can you make sure they're not in isolation and how can we support more? And what is this time? You know, like I think it's healthy that that's coming to the forefront, but it's also ringing a lot of alarm bells preemptively mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. where it's like that thing that happens, it's going to consume me. Yes. And so I do have a lot of conversations about that. And by providing context, which in polyvagal theory is foundational to the health and wellness of your nervous system Mm -hmm. is what they call the three C's, which is context, choice, and connection. Mm -hmm. And so with context, meaning information, information helps to actually turn down the volume on confusion And then the person can start to feel like they understand maybe what's happening and therefore make informed choice. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, so we're just supporting the nervous system ahead of time to say, let's look at the bigger picture here. Mm -hmm. And let's also look at the fact that this is not a sentence. Mm -hmm. There's things that we can do to support you. That is such an interesting thing. I'm having some... um, some conversations with recent or with clients pop into my head as you're having these, as you're explaining some of these things about 
the fear that we have, any health anxiety that you might have had anyway, compounded by the idea of carrying a fetus in your uterus and then Mm -hmm. giving birth and all of that and trying to control what we can control, which is exactly hilarious, right? What what can we control? Not not much, (laughs) especially parenting, Um, but also where is the balance between seeking control and feeling set up for success? Mm. Um, and that's something that's that I, I think is it's a, it's individual. Of course, it's unique to each person and also making sure that we're recognizing that we're not seeking perfection in some way, seeking to mm. control. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, for sure. I like that idea too. You're talking about like decreasing the confusion and being mm-hmm. able to make informed choice. Yeah. Yeah. And when we, are seeking control, you know, that indicates like, oh, my protector's on board, right? My nervous system is revved up. Something about whatever I'm neuroceiving, right? Like I'm taking in information that there is potential threat. Mm-hmm. And so like paying attention to that and then supporting the nervous system in a way in which it's like, okay, so, you know, what do you need to feel even more safe and supported mm-hmm. along the way? Right. Mm-hmm. So that along the way, ideally, you can access those three C's throughout. So mm-hmm. typically what happens is when those are removed, then we have the potential for trauma to set mm-hmm. in. Mm-hmm. Right. Lack of contacts, lack of choice, lack of connection. Mm-hmm. That's overwhelming to the nervous system. Mm-hmm. For sure. For sure. And I wanted to chat a little bit because I know that you are um, you are a certified holistic doula and that you've also worked in midwifery as well for better part of a decade. Right. This episode is sponsored by Boogie Board, makers of award winning, reusable writing and creativity products. Say goodbye to messy whiteboards and expensive computer tablets with these super affordable alternatives, perfect for group or individual activities and exercises, including communication for nonverbal individuals and honing fine motor skills related to writing. Best of all, there is no charging necessary, no special pins or markers, and they are easy to store. I love my smart notebook for taking notes in the office so I can write down echo words during sessions with clients, then zoop, delete it all with a tap for full HIPAA compliance. Boogie Board has extended me an additional 5% off with my code Let's Discuss, which will apply to on top of their current 20% off sale on their smart notebooks for a total of 25% off. Best of all, this code will also get you 5% off everything else on the site. Check out all they have to offer and make your practice the best it can be at myboogieboard.com. Let's Discuss with Meg Duke is supported by Yumble. Y'all know I do not have the best eating habits, always a work in progress, and I want to make sure I don't pass that along to my kids. Yumble has options for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and with a Yumble meal, there's no prepping, cooking, or cleaning, so that's time you can spend elsewhere. Taste tested with over 50,000 children, Yumble meals are delicious and healthy, backed by nutrition experts, and help create a healthier dynamic at mealtime. Use code LETSDISCUSS50 for discounts on your orders at yumblekids.com. Yeah. So I like to clarify that. So um, in the world of midwifery, there's a lot of politics. And so I entered through what was known as direct entry midwifery, uh-huh. which in the States you might understand because it's a, it's a state term really okay. and, like an American, American term. Mm-hmm. Um, so direct entry means very like self-studied apprenticeship model. Sure. You know, you kind of have your teacher. Um, so I did work with it with my 
teacher slash elder for a long period of time, hmm. which resulted in um, a couple of uh, apprenticeships, hands-on apprenticeships, one in Mexico, one in El Paso. Wow. I was trained in a very alternative paradigm. So very much on the edge. So as far to the edge as you could imagine. Yes. Was, was the paradigm I was trained in, which didn't really fit into the more professionalized system, especially as midwifery was starting to um, emerge as a professional body mm-hmm. and, and seen within the medical sector as a professional body. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so kind of, you know, being trained in that very, very far out there radical way didn't really fit into that paradigm. Yeah. Um, which, which I wrestled with very much for many, many years sure. and, um, you know, wanted to find a way to make it fit long story short, that just didn't work out. So yes, I've, I've worked in that world. I've, I've worked as a holistic doula. I've supported moms in every, um, potential birthing experience you could imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've worked with moms on the free birth side of things. And I've worked with moms on the elective cesarean side of things and everything in between. Everything in between. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So it's a vast kind of, um, I can, I can see in different worlds, you could say, and understand sort of what's going on within the, the different paradigms of birth mm-hmm. and birth care. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I, you know, uh, somewhat tangentially just in terms of like, wouldn't it be nice if I could, I've always kind of been interested in the idea of like, I wish that I could follow somebody around and do a lot of the different tasks so that I could be even more informed. You know, I've had my own two children, but that's a very specific example of my, you know, I'd love to be more, have those opportunities to see more of the things that go on and um, midwifery and doula and um, nurses that work in obstetrics and all of the different Mm -hmm different things are involved because I think it obviously just continues to help inform practice and be able to continue to understand more of those things. Yeah. I mean, this is something that I'm really passionate about and, and kind of what we're moving towards within our clinic is to work with other perinatal therapists who want to be childbirth informed as well. Mm-hmm. And because there is something, um, I, I know from my clients, they've told me that, that knowing that I have such a deep, kind of history and understanding of the culture of birth mm-hmm. is very supportive to a, like a felt sense of security in the relationship. And in so much that um, when you come at it, let's, let's just say, can I rift on this for a minute? Please, please, please. Okay. please. <laughs> I, I am, I am on the edge of my seat metaphorically. I want to hear all of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, To be childbirth informed would mean to understand the politics of birth, to understand Mm. the politics of midwifery, to Mm. understand that there are different paradigms and not every mom fits in that one paradigm. So we've got, you know, a more, let's say the dominant paradigm is, is more of the hospital birth, medical supported birthing experience, right? And then we have a professional midwifery home birth kind of culture, and then we also have the free birth, traditional birth attendant culture. We've, we have a lot of different paradigms. And I think it's really important to understand how each of those kind of emerged, to understand the history and the culture of way back when, mm-hmm. you know, the culture of birth, which 
some argue midwifery was the oldest profession before prostitution, hmm. right? And so there's that argument, prostitution being the oldest profession. I'm sure I, I'm not saying this derogatory at all. <laughs> um, but, you know, so this is like, this going way back in terms of like, here we are as a species, as a mammal that brings forth life onto this planet. Mm-hmm. We create, we hold, we, we birth, right? Like this mm-hmm. is, mm-hmm. this is the birth of humanity. Right. <laughs> and so understanding what can happen within those paradigms and how that might impact a mom's experience of birth is really important. Yes. So if we only have a, a siloed experience based on our own personal birthing experiences, let's say as a therapist, then we're seeing through that lens. That's a bias, right? As much as we want to pretend like we're not, we are. Mm-hmm. And I, my bias would be seeing through this very radical lens, right? So I had to work very hard to kind of basically unravel all of those different biases that I had mm-hmm. to be mm-hmm. able to really walk alongside somebody's experience in the postpartum, Mm -hmm. regardless of what, what paradigm they landed in. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Understanding that is really helpful as well to work with, let's say a mom who um, hired a midwife and was having uh, an attempted home birth and they had a transfer of care, that loss of dream birth, that, that is a different kind of experience than a mom who chose to be in the hospital, trusted in their medical care providers, was happy with the care of their obstetrical team, and had an experience that left them either feeling deeply disappointed or traumatized. Mm -hmm. Those are two very different worlds. And so the mom over here who um, wanted to have a home birth was very attached to that and ended up with an an unplanned, unexpected emergency cesarean section, for example, Mm -hmm. she's grieving multiple losses or they're grieving multiple losses. Sure. Right. And if we don't understand what that might be like, then they feel like there's a piece lacking there. It's like, you're Mm -hmm. not getting it right. Because that's where the, well, at least you, your baby's healthy, Mm -hmm. right. That's where that comes from. Like, at least you're here and your baby's healthy. And it's like, that's empty. We know that. I take it- genuinely do not like the words at least. I know. <laughs> Deeply. <laughs> yeah, there, there you go. 100%. And yeah. I would never say that, but you know, of course yeah. moms hear this all the time. They sure do. They sure so do. The, so then let's just wrap this up. You take it one step further and you're working with a mom who was in the free birth culture and they were choosing to birth unassisted with no medical professional there. Mm-hmm. Or they chose to have a c- circle of birth support that came from that culture. Sure. And then they are in the hospital having a cesarean section. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, this is a huge leap, mm. right? We're going through paradigms. So we're mm-hmm. actually breaking down belief systems. And that's very challenging to one's mm-hmm. beingness. Right. So if we don't understand those cultures or if we have a judgment about, whoa, over here, free birther, you know, oh, that hospital safest. If we have any of those as a practitioner who's supporting the perinatal population, then we're actually offering doing a disservice. Mm, Truly. Yes. Well, I mean, I end every episode with be curious, not judgmental. And that also deeply guides my practice of 
Hmm. unless I, you know, I'm a mandated reporter in several states where I'm licensed, but otherwise, unless there's an actual concern for somebody's health and safety, tell me more, let me know about it. And, and I think that is, you're right. People have such strong preconceived notions about how a birth should go and what is needed and required Mm -hmm. that you're right. If you're speaking with people who have very strong opinions that are differing from your plan, and that's not the message that you're hoping for. And then certainly again, to go from wanting to have a fully unassisted birth to mm-hmm. a surgical procedure is, I mean, that's the spectrum right there. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And then you're isolated in that. You don't feel seen. You don't feel soothed. You don't feel safe. You don't feel supported. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Which we all know is necessary for secure attachment and for our own healing journey. So, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, so I wanted to talk about, cause you wrote healing after birth and midwifery mm-hmm. for the soul. Mm-hmm. Uh, amazing. What was, I always like to people ask people and one day I'd like to write some books. So I'm always curious, like what was the writing process like for you? Yeah, sure. So remember I said, I kind of hit my healing crisis in, about 11 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and I joke with some of my friends that like, I literally shit out creativity so during my healing journey, mm-hmm. I, I never considered myself to be creative. I never finished my first my first master's because I had severe writer's block. I couldn't write. Yes. <laughs> I couldn't write. I couldn't write. I couldn't write. And then all of a sudden, through my own journey, I was moved. I could not do anything but write. Mm. And so, and also I created jewelry in that time. I was, it was just like my, my whole system was, you know, being taken over by this creative spirit, you know, and it was, it was beautiful, but we know when we are healing, Mm -hmm. we release so much that we create room for our, our creative being, which Mm -hmm. we all have, which, you know, is at the core of who we are is creative Right. And so it was shocking for me to realize that that's true. Mm-hmm. I never imagined it to be true. And so that's how that process happened. It actually was very fluid. It was very creative. It was very inspired. Um, there was no, I didn't create timelines. I didn't sit down every day at a certain time to create a chapter. I didn't even outline it. Wow. Every, everything I've written was just right. Yes. And that's what happened. And yeah, two books came out of that process, which seems a little extreme, like 2018 was the first one. And then uh, the second one was published on the winter solstice, which is December 21st, uh-huh. 2019. Uh-huh. And so just before 2020, and something in me was like, it has to go out on 2019. Don't ask me why. When I give when I really birth these things into the population, into beingness, it's a very um, frightening experience to my nervous system. Oh, sure. Because it's very vulnerable. Yes. Um, and I didn't filter. And then I kind of go through that vulnerability hangover. The problem with having a book out there is the hangover never ends. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so, so it's like, oh, that's still out there. Right. And it's like, oh, yeah. And then, I'll notice, you know, sometimes when I'm feeling extra vulnerable, I want to like take it off the shelves or something like that. But it's helpful when I do get affirmation from people how much the books have supported them. Yes. Um, but yeah, that that's my writing process. 
Yeah. Oh, that's so amazing to hear about. Now, yeah, the vulnerability hangover for sure. When you put something in the universe that people can consume again and again, and new people can continue to find it is, it's tough. It's kind of tough to sit with that discomfort. And I'm glad to hear that you're getting such good feedback that's helping you not pull it from the shelves. <laughs> yeah. Um, maybe but- only people give me good feedback, but I'm sure everybody has all kinds of experiences. And that's the other thing. You can't control that, right? It's completely that's- out there. That is public scrutiny. Yes, that's absolutely right. You know, with the way I don't want to be negative, but with the way keyboard warriors are these days, I think, um, you know, if people had a lot of bad stuff to say, somebody might, (laughs) they might be saying it, but sounds like it's hopefully, hopefully all all the good stuff. And yeah. Mm -hmm. So what were some of your bigger takeaways when you were doing the research for those books? Um, When I, I guess maybe you were talking about that with through the creativity, it wasn't even so much research. It was just you were just pulling through the research of your brain. Like it was already in the catalog and it was just coming out. Yeah. Yes. True. And also um, the healing after birth was the, what I was trying to do with that book is take the program that I had developed to, and I had piloted and worked with groups of moms with, and and had put together, you know, like a real um, trauma informed step-by-step journey for these moms. I wanted to put that into book form so that it was more accessible, bringing in a lot of the activities, really explaining it, bringing in some of the pieces that were part of that group program. And that, and so then I just pulled all of that together. And that was sort of the the brain behind launching that book um, Mm -hmm. was really so that it was accessible. And this was, you know, you have to remember this was before when I was pulling all that together It was before we even were publicly talking about birth trauma, uh-huh. uh, not very long ago. Right. You know, now it seems to be popcorning all over the place. Yes. Um, but yeah, so, um, so that, that, yeah, the research was there. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, and you're right. It is interesting to think about, and it's difficult for me to know as well, because I was not focused peri- in perinatal. I didn't have children. I had my first child born in 2019. Mm-hmm. So I don't remember people talking a lot about that. And I wonder, is it, you know, confirmation bias of like, well, I'm talking about it all the time. So I see it or is it, mm-hmm. I, it is, it's that it's not that long ago that we weren't really validating. We weren't discussing. There was stigma. Mm-hmm. There was the, at least of it all. And so it's really been nice to see, people feeling more able to, you know, take up that space and, and sit in, you know, in our own power of being a parent and recognizing the trauma and recognizing the experience and doing something for ourselves to help along that journey. Whereas before it was kind of, you know, keep your head down and push ahead. Yeah. And I I would say that's still out there. Certainly is. Certainly is. Our jobs are yeah. uphill sometimes indeed, but um, yeah, but there is more awareness for sure. And of course, social media is a huge proponent of that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So um, I know it's kind of tough because you have such a broad experience, but kind of what are some common things that you've recognized in your work? Some things that um, are some of the bigger takeaways or some of the things that you're noticing kind of popping up more? Yeah, um, definitely. uh, There's definitely the piece of um, mom struggling in the postpartum 
and really looking for wanting, you know, tools to overcome their struggles mm-hmm. and not linking it to anything perinatal. So not linking what they're struggling with, with perhaps historical content that would have maybe sent their system into a state of alarm. Mm-hmm. And, and so walking them through that timeline of looking at all the additional stressors that maybe were disregarded, right, then we were able to, then the mom sort of relaxing into, oh, this is not just something in this moment, but actually we get to look at this through a bigger lens and then work towards, you know, restoring the nervous system, the heart system and the mind system. Mm-hmm. So there's that piece, the lack of kind of linking the the struggle with the larger story. Yes. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. And then there is this other theme that always shows up, which is the internalization mm. of I failed, my body failed, you know, I'm yes. I did something wrong. It's my fault. I'm bad. Mm-hmm. Or I'm a bad mom. Mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. I'll forever be broken mm-hmm. so from it from how people are internalizing the theme is often the same mm-hmm. and so I'll always say to a mom like when we look at how they're internalizing so I'll say you you've got this experience it's held in your body but then the mind made up a story about it and the mind makes up this story based on our past experiences and we can only change that story when we become conscious of it in present right And so I'll remind the mom that we're going to first work with the body. We're going to work with the somatics and then we're going to work with the cognition. So the story you're telling yourself or the story that got anchored into that. In other words, the I am belief. Yes. That's at the core of it. Mm -hmm. That I am belief Mm -hmm. is what's causing the chronic dysregulation, making it even harder for the system to restore itself. The system wants to move towards homeostasis. Right. It has an intelligence. But then when we get hooked on to this story as the broken record, then it's really hard for our nervous system to know it's safe enough mm-hmm. to move towards wellness and homeostasis. Mm. So we we work, I say, we're going to excavate that. We're going to bring it to the surface. We're going to look at that monster so that it's no longer, you know, in the shadows, it's no longer a monster under the bed. Mm-hmm. So when we do that, it's a shared, it's a shared story. And then mm-hmm. I'll say, because it's a shared story, you're not alone with it. Mm. And most likely, it's not yours. It's right. not unique to you. Mm-hmm. And it's a lie. These are the lies that we've been told over and over and over again. These are the lies that we tell ourselves. And these lies keep us in this place of disempowerment. Mm -hmm. So we work towards turning that around, but that can only be done on an embodied set. Like it's not a mental thing. So it's a felt thing. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I love that. I love it. Just struck to me too. I've been, I've talked a lot about it that words matter. Right. And so when people talk about I, that I am belief um, and internalizing things, I've done something wrong. I am bad. I, whatever it might be, it's like the word miscarriage for me is a, is a sticking point that I don't Mm -hmm. use. And I do believe in supporting people in, you know, like, for example, I am also a licensed chemical dependency counselor. And some people find a lot of energy and, and um, strength and 
referring to themselves as an addict and some people don't. And so I will meet you where you are on that. I'm not going to ever be like, you are an addict to somebody, but I, you know, I will meet them. But, you know, miscarriage means I miscarried something. I mean, it's literally the word. And I really think it just puts so much, you know, a pregnancy loss or a pregnancy crisis is not often rarely the fault of the person carrying the child, the baby. Mm-hmm. And, and so it's so hard for people sometimes to kind of mm-hmm. divorce themselves from that. Like I, I have, my body is a mistake. Mm-hmm. I've done something wrong. Um, mm-hmm. So just making sure that we're recognizing and finding more empowering language can be very helpful mm-hmm. in those situations as well. Mm-hmm. That's really beautiful. I love that you named that, you know, not using that word miscarriage just because of exactly what it means and that mm-hmm. it has a blaming connotation to it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I, I hear you. I'm with you. And I think that we have been conditioned mm-hmm. for generations culturally, at least within this dominant culture, mm-hmm. we have been conditioned to either look outside oneself to place blame mm-hmm. so the whole litigation system, especially mm-hmm. in America, it's mm-hmm. a high litigation mm-hmm. country. Yes. Right. So I'm going to fuel all of this unresolved stuff externally mm-hmm. by locating you know, someone Mm -hmm. to place the blame on or, and right. Then I internalize needing to find something and someone Mm -hmm. to blame. Mm -hmm. Right. So we live in a blame culture Mm -hmm. and I did write about that actually in my book. I have a whole chapter on shame and blame because part of our healing is eventually stepping outside of that story too. Yes. Which is the place of deep, deep acceptance. Mm -hmm. Right acceptance, understanding, like, so the blame is part of our need to seek to understand. Right. Right. And to gather information, Mm -hmm. but it just kind of got contorted along the way. Mm -hmm. And then it fuels something. So if we don't have an external to blame, then we have to blame the body. At least that's what the mind does. Right. Right. Where I'll either hear my body failed me or my stress or what I was thinking, mm-hmm. all that, right? It, it, that's what happened. Mm-hmm. So it's work to move out, to step out of that. It is. It's amazing this, the, the systems in which we participate unknowingly because we were mm-hmm. born into them. And so we're all the people before us who introduced us to them as well. And and it's it's really been an interesting period, you know, especially since quarantine, or I don't know if, again, maybe being a parent for me or whatever, mm-hmm. feeling deeper in my journey as a mental health professional, but being able to say like, what are the systems that I'm participating in mm-hmm. that are causing harm, certainly to myself, to my mm-hmm. child? Like, what are the things that I can stop doing so that my children don't see me doing those mm-hmm. so that I can stop that cycle? Um, yeah. And, and there are a lot of them, you know, I just was reading, um, oh, I'm going to say it wrong. My body's not an apology. The body's not an apology. Mm, uh, I, I do. I have that book. Yeah. Yes. And I, that purple, one, purple cover. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. 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 Um, Sonia Renee Taylor. And mm-hmm. that was when I was like, oh my God, I, I just, we just, we think about the things that we were told growing up. And of course I went to college in the Victoria's Secret Angels era. So that right. was very much 
that lives rent-free in my brain. So just uh, anyway, I went off a little bit of a tangent. I apologize. But yeah, I just, I think it's really interesting that we're able to sit back and like, why am I talking to myself this way? Why am I allowing myself mm-hmm. to participate in this? And is it something that's going to in some way be fruitful for me? Or is it a system mm-hmm. that I, I can choose to no longer with practice, obviously. Right, <laughs> right. We can't bypass it. Right. Yeah. Right. No, it's not I'd as say easy that. as saying, I'm not doing this anymore, but Correct. Yeah. It's like, we do have to excavate it from our embodied experience, right? We have to, and we have to see the impact that it's having on us Mm. when we believe that thought. And then we have to understand it is a lie. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's not helpful. It's not supportive because our truest nature is seeking to be supportive and kind. Like it's compassionately kind, right? It's true. And so these, these internal, and I, I struggle with it. You know, it's a regular work, right? Sure, like sure, sure. We, you know, so we're constantly excavating this stuff that has been infiltrated into our system and we don't even know it. It's the water mm-hmm. we swim in. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. I like the way you said, I love excavating. I wrote that down, excavating. I love that. <laughs> it's the water we swim in. You're absolutely right. Absolutely. Well, I just, I can't thank you enough. It's been such a pleasure to get to chat with you. And I wanted to, to ask you before I, before I let you leave, if you could let everyone know where they can find you. Yeah, sure. I always kind of stumble at this part, but <laughs> um, if you're in Canada, right? <laughs> yeah, I know, not good at it. If you're in Canada, you can reach us at therapyformoms.ca. So we serve moms across Canada, kind of Ontario West, but that's, you know, sure. another story. Anyway, so yeah, we we work virtually with moms across Canada at therapyformoms.ca. Um, if you're a practitioner, we're going to be launching um, in March, we're launching what's called Ask Alliance. And this is going to be kind of like a portal for all different practitioners in the field of perinatal health. So whether you're a therapist all the way to physiotherapist, to chiropractor, to midwifery, whatever, birth worker. Mm -hmm. So the idea there is to start to build a hub of connection and conversation Mm -hmm. and not be siloed in our profession and really bring that childbirth informed lens and the trauma-informed polyvagal lens into the mm. conversation with a multidisciplinary group of people. So um, that will be available in March. Um, if I also work as a coach for Americans, so or anybody in the world, sure, <laughs> so sure. that's a whole other conversation, but you can learn more about that at flowingfears.com. Mm-hmm. And I think that's it. Most yes. of us, most of that stuff can be found online. So yes. And of course the books as well, they're out there. So yeah, they're out, <laughs> they're out there. Vulnerability hangover. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm I, the I worst book, book promoter ever. <laughs> yeah, no, I, and I really, again, I really appreciate you taking the time and um, that's actually, I'm glad that you clarified that because I actually, um, if I may do my own little self-promotion, I actually, I was really surprised to see how many countries people listen to the show and it's not just Canada and the United States, but it's, I mean, people are, let me have right here, there are people in Peru and South Africa, Amazing. Norway, Austria. I'm like, well, hey. Well, hello. Wonderful. So uh, I really appreciate you so much. What a great conversation. So glad we were able to connect. And for the rest of the team out there, be curious, not judgmental. Thanks so much for joining me for this episode of Let's Discuss with Meg Duke. I'd love for you to write a review of my podcast on your app. And don't forget to subscribe so you get a notification when new content is posted. Take a moment to leave a rating too. You can follow me at Therapy by Meg on Instagram and find Meg Duke LCSW on Facebook. 
You can also look for Let's Discuss content by searching the hashtag Let's Discuss with Meg. Let's Discuss with Meg Duke is executive produced by David Presley and produced by Meg Duke. Our theme song was written and performed by Antoine McDuffie.